0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. As the name says, our listeners are business creators. We have entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have marketing and business coaching consultants. We have the folks who help others Create their businesses, and we have the do it yourselfers like to have your own hands on the levers. If you are one or more of the above, if you fall into anything that I just described, please take a moment, explore episodes, and discover how we help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also, check us out on iTunes. Just do a search for Business Creators Radio Show or click the big button in the sidebar of our website. Every five-star rating is greatly appreciated and helps us help more business creators just like you. And be sure to subscribe because fresh content will arrive in your iTunes every Tuesday. Starting out, you'll have over 150 episodes to peruse covering a wide variety of topics so you can dive in right now and start finding your edge that will move you ahead. Leadership is a very important thing, obviously. I know I'm saying you know, the sun comes out in the morning, whoop de doo, right? But leadership is an art and leadership is a science. And understanding this is very, very important. So, for that reason, what I want to do today is I want to share with you how excited I am about today's guest, Dana A. Oliver of Mantra Design. So I'm gonna let Dana tell you about himself here, basically. So first of all, let's introduce him. Dana, welcome aboard.
1: Hey Adam, it's a very, it's a pleasure, sir, to meet you, and also to thank you very much for uh, having me as a guest on Business Creators Radio Show. It's, uh, it's an honor, so I appreciate that.
0: Are you kidding me the honor is all ours. I mean we're here as your acolytes as our listeners as our listeners know, I'm the host of the business creators radio show but when we do the episodes, I have a seat in the front row of the audience I have my notepad and my pen out and I'm looking for the slide edge for my business. What we'd like to do here first is take a step back and give those of our listeners who may not have had a chance to get to know Dana A. Oliver yet, and just tell us a bit about what brings you here and what has led you to the intersection of your brilliance and passion as far as how you serve business creators.
1: Great. Adam, thank you for the question. So first, I guess for me, uh, I'm, I'm one of those kind of uh, great American success stories. Um, I came from a very humble family. My dad served in the military his career. Um, he's now passed, but, you know, at, you know, neither one of my parents attended college and they grew, you know, raised me to be a good person and to go out in my way in life and to find a job. Uh, so in order for me to uh, get anywhere in life in particular to go after higher education, it, you know, that was going to be left on my own accord. So I took the route of, uh, you know, going to work full time, um, at remedial jobs. Really. I worked for 10 straight years, went to night school uh, during that time at Northeastern uh, university in Boston, Mass, and ultimately earned my uh, bachelor's of science in mechanical engineering. And started my career as a draftsman, and ultimately, you know, led led that to being the senior director of research and development for Medtronic, a division I helped grow from 100 million to approximately 2 billion in annual revenues.
0: That's beautiful, and I'm really looking forward to, shall we say, picking your brain, so to speak, on behalf of our listeners and finding out more about what that background brings to us. But before we do that, and we are very excited to dive in here, there's one more question I need to ask. And our listeners know that when I do the drum roll on the desk, that it's coming. Here in the Business Creators Radio Show, we provide the tools, techniques, and strategies to help entrepreneurs quickly grow their businesses. A lot of our listeners tell me they have everything they need to implement anything that anybody, including Dana A. Oliver, says they need to do, except for time and money. This is a question we ask every expert who appears on the Business Creators Radio Show. And what I like is not only the variety of different answers, but also the variety of different ways the question is interpreted. So Dana, how do time and money impact what you are going to share with us today?
1: Well, I think for me, you know, if I was to give one uh, one uh, sentence of advice to your listeners, that's, you know, I, I learned a trick and that's every morning when I get up and every night before I go home, I would ask a simple question, which is, what is the single most important thing I need to do today to make the day a success? And and you know, this is true for all businesses, but it's even truer for the smaller startups because you can become inundated with just tasks. You know, never mind answering emails or trying to create specs or make phone calls or talk to customers or whatever be the case, but that doesn't mean your day is a success. So I ask that. You know, what's what's it gonna take to make your day a success or What is that longest lead item that you might need to be chasing down that day? So that's my my answer.
0: That's a very simple and very concise answer, and I can't agree more. One of the things I've done with, with my business in my day plan is I've basically embraced a few things. Number one is I have systems in place where I can have networking happening. Uh, where maybe you know I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm chatting with somebody, or I'm on Facebook and chatting with somebody. Uh, maybe I'm doing it myself, or maybe somebody responds to one of my posts, and they're just so excited about what I wrote because, let's face it, I'm awesome, and I can say that because it's my show, <laughs> that they want to speak with me one-on-one. I have the people, the processes, and the systems in place, Where even though by the time you get on the phone with me, we've probably had an online conversation, uh, maybe done some chat on social media. Maybe we hit it off inside a discussion group on Facebook and LinkedIn where we were helping each other. Could be one of those things. But even if this is somebody who I have never spoken with before, never chatted with before, never dialogued with before, never heard of, they can find their way all the way onto my schedule. And I don't even have to research them before I get on the phone except for maybe two minutes before I hop on the phone just to get some background on who they are. And I can pick up that phones like we're old friends. That is how tight my systems are because I just don't have that kind of time to waste. The second thing is, is as far as emergencies, uh, I have a specific list of people whose emergencies can impact me and rearrange my day. These are called Top high paying clients, and they know who they are. They also know that there's a shortcut to get a hold of me, and that they are privileged in having that shortcut. Like they know my Skype, for instance. And if they type to me and they say, Hey, got a sec, as long as I have that sec, they got it. But that's not open to everybody. So I'm keeping my circle tight and I'm keeping my schedule tight. The third thing I do is I'm very aware of my energy, and I know that I can drive like crazy i can go 18 hours on an issue Uh, when i need to pull out all the stops i can not only pull all the stops but uh hurl them all the way across three time zones to get it done i also know that my energy wavers. i know that if i uh if i really put the work in for about three or four days I might need a day to just goof off, or I might need a day where I just, uh, you know, do the necessary stuff, and then I spend the rest of the day on social media, getting to know people, or taking a walk in the park, or heading down to cigar shop, or pit playing with my cats, or whatever. So I honor that, and I respect that, and I have a commitment to myself that as long as my deadlines get met, as long as I deliver my value, as long as I do what I need to do to help. My clients went at the game of business and marketing, and I am helping the Business Creators Institute spread its message and help more people and entrepreneurs around the world that, hey, if I want to put in an hour that day, fine. It's covered. So I do it with no excuses, no apologies, and with full understanding of the relationship between my time and my money because when I honor my time, the money tends to come in. What i'd like to talk about today of course is leadership uh so basically let's start by defining our terms dana please tell us why in your estimation based on your experience leadership is so important to either a business or an innovation company
1: yeah thank you for that adam great question and and by the way yes you are quite awesome uh just want to well, thank, confirm you. <laughs> thank you from that thank you um but to me this is this is a great topic i mean to me leadership is everything And what I mean by that, when I look at business, a lot of business schools in particular, they'll talk about having a great strategic plan. And then, you know, most executives, you know, struggle with having an equally effective infrastructure. So we hear all the time about, you know, about strategy and and about execution. Well, to me, business has three legs, a third leg, and that's uh, hiring exceptional people because business is about people and then leading them with emotionally intelligent leadership skills. And I'm telling you, when you can begin to hire the right people, share the vision, embrace them, give them the tools that they need to do their job, the time to get it done, uh, and um, invest them into the strategy to help you grow that business, that's where you establish greatness. So I would tell people they need to begin thinking about business as, as not only strategy and execution, but also emotionally intelligent leadership It's essential. And this is far different than, you know, so many leaders, you know, that that they get into leadership, but they're thinking more about their own selves. Emotionally intelligent leaders are thinking about people, because at the end of the day, a leader is one person. But as a leader, your time is multiplicative. So you want to be able to, you know, motivate people and to uh, and use them as a catalyst, you know, to be to do more with less.
0: Yeah, that's very true. And what I when I ask folks when I come into a, a company and I see they have their team, whether they're their employees, the people who work in their office, their virtual team, or what have you, is I ask a very provocative question very early on, and I say, "In what way are all these people profit centers for your business?" And if mm, they and if they and if they look at if they look at me with a flat line, then I say they want to be profit centers for your business. They want you to be their favorite client if they're like a firm that has multiple clients. They want you to be their dream boss if it's an employee-employer type situation, and they want to be in a place where on Sunday night, rather than having a sense of doom hanging over them at Sunday dinner saying, oh, man, i got to go to work tomorrow, that after dinner, they're actually up on their computer going through their emails Getting things out of the way so they can hit the ground Monday morning with a running start. That's the difference right there. Everybody wants that, whether they realize it or not. Everybody would love to know that that third of their life or more that is spent at work or spent in business and you know, for some entrepreneurs, it's like two-thirds, and sometimes it's three-thirds or four-thirds. They want to know that that is something they're going to enjoy doing. So they're not thinking about you know TGIF or getting ready to go on vacation because they have the type of business, they have the type of work experience, and they have the type of career that they don't need a vacation from. The vacation would be like, oh, come on. Okay, the beach was nice. We hit it this morning. I want to get back. That's what we want. And the reason I brought That's you here, and the reason I brought you here is because, uh, you know, as we go through the rest of the hour, we're going to turn you more and more loose, and you're going to share more of that with us. Uh, but what I'd like to do is I'd like to take an excerpt from your book, uh, which is called, uh, which is called, I believe, Mantra Leadership. And in that book, what I want to do is I want to um, highlight a phrase you used called, and the phrase goes, introduce premium price, patent-protected, market-share-leading products. So how can a firm do that? And first of all, define what the heck that is.
1: Yeah, so thanks for that, uh, Adam. So first, yeah, actually my first book uh, was was called Mantra Leadership, uh, Don't Become the Emperor with No Clothes. My second book is Mantra Design, uh, Innovate, Buy or Die. And so the essence of uh, Mantra Design is is exactly that. I try to help uh, business leaders and innovators alike uh, how to identify their customers' unmet unmet needs, and then transform them into patent-protected, you know, premium-priced market share-leading uh, technologies, and and I would say I have two mantras around that, and the first one is learn your customers' world, and the second one is innovation begins with an eye, the let uh, the, the eyeball, not the letter I. Right. Um, so, and what that means, in essence, right, is that if if you want to uh, identify unmet need, though you're not going to get that through focus groups or, or, or by talking casually over dinner with a customer. But what you can need to do is you need to get so close so that you're on a near peer level, so that you begin to understand your customers' joys and their pains. And then when you watch them perform their craft in a simulated environment, that's where you can begin to see some of those pain points. And what's interesting is it's, it's like anything, uh, people people will begin to do things that maybe are painful or less efficient or cumbersome. And, and that doesn't mean it's good, but they just learn to do it because that's what needs to get done. But if you can observe quietly watching your uh, customers, those are opportunities. Those are things that they, they've become so perhaps accustomed to that they no longer even talk about. But that's where, where you have an opportunity to satisfy an unmet need. Now, that doesn't mean it's been solved. It just means you've identified an opportunity thereafter. Then you need to say, my God, how am I going to uh, bring value to that? How can I maybe uh, have uh, introduce less time? How can I add a feature? How can I change a procedure or, or a system or you give them an alternative tool? And when you do that, you develop them in conjunction with them. It's what I call developing products through your customer's eyes. So that's how you take... A trouble area or an unmet need, and then to begin to transform it. So, but that's the key: watching your customers in a simulated environment quietly, and, and looking for those pain points.
0: Here's a big here's a big challenge, and this is something that I faced in my last job, before I became a full time entrepreneur. Is uh, how can companies? Get their employees or team members or virtual assistants, what have you, to participate in that. Because I'll just tell you, 30 seconds my own personal experience, um, I had a job where I felt like I was being stuck on – well, I'll I'll tell you what my job was. Um, It was – I worked for an insurance company, and my job was to negotiate uh, single-case contracts with – uh, out-of-state providers who were outside the network so if uh, somebody who was covered under our insurance uh, ended up in the emergency room three time zones away uh, so that that facility could get paid according to the regulations of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania which is where we were based and where I lived at the time uh, I was mm-hmm. stuck on the front line this and they said okay you're gonna, gonna got to negotiate these rates got to negotiate these rates and if the and if the provider wouldn't sign the agreement they say well did you negotiate but then, when a provider actually did try to negotiate where we said something like, well, the going rate for this type of service, according to the chart, is $680 a day. And they said, well, we charge $950. dollars uh, would like to go for the 950 if that's possible. Uh, if I would have mm-hmm. tried to negotiate that, because I did try it, and in one case – and we're well, not one case, but several cases, I got them to meet me halfway – I applied some of that art of the deal stuff to it. Even I even got them to meet me more than halfway, and I threw in a couple things like uh, you know excluding physician charges and things like that, which in the industry is uh, particularly doing with hospitals, exclusion of physician physician charges is actually a big deal for those who know what that is. And I would say, look, they're not going to take our six seventy five or whatever number I just said. Uh, they were asking for nine fifty, but I got them to this, and they said, well, we're only going to pay six seventy five. You got to make them accept it. It's like. You tell me to negotiate. Mm -hmm. Then when I do negotiate, you cut me off at the knees. And then you tell me to go out there like a broken record and get yelled at. And then when they refuse to sign the agreement and they file a grievance, then you're going to come to me saying, why didn't I make this deal work? Do you see how I felt? You see see why I'm talking (laughs) about it 12 years later? (laughs) Uh, So what I want you to do right now is I'm going to turn you loose here and tell us how to do the exact opposite.
1: Yeah. I mean, to me, right, it just goes back to, you know, being emotionally intelligent. And that's you have to you have to have people get vested in the business. So no one wants to feel like a number. I mean, there's many businesses out there where people are exactly that. And and businesses are just chasing that that bottom line number or they're only chasing their share price. And those are important. But I think any business that's chasing a share price is mistakenly losing all the stakeholders. And, and people quickly realize whether they're uh, a part of an institution or they're part of just uh, some bottom line uh, business. So for me, when you involve people in the strategic plan and, and you talked about, you know, asking a small uh, business owner about um, people bringing value to their company, to me, it's the same thing. If you want to get people invested, you bring them in, include them into the strategic plan. So, and not everyone, I mean, you, you look, you need to have line workers, so not everyone can be part of the strategy, but the people that are high enough in the organization and influential enough, you have to include them in that strategy, and when people become invested, when when, they, when their voice is heard, when their ideas are listened to, when, when things begin, they're, they're given the ball to run with it, to go make a difference, that's how you get people invested in the business, and you can do that at all levels of the business, but... That's the that's the answer.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, and and I think some of that comes from listening. Uh, Dana, what are your thoughts on? And you alluded to this earlier, things like surveys and um, and analysis and things like that. I wasn't quite sure what your tenor was, so let's establish your tenor on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, there's all kinds of market research that you can do, and and I don't want to I don't want to dismiss market research entirely outright however i do think it's limited and what i mean by that is i found that uh, a couple let me let me make a couple points to this one is that if you're part of a focus group and you're taking you're talking to people one if you have more than one voice let's say you have five customers and one has a big towering voice and a big presence what you're going to find is that most people on a professional respect even though they might disagree with that person they're not going to do it publicly so all of a sudden, if you're in a focus group, it's very common the person with the biggest and the loudest personality is doing most of the talking. And then you have a lot of other people nodding their heads. And they're nodding their heads not because they agree, but because that they don't want to um, uh, argue differently in front of their peers. So that's the first thing. Second thing is that when you listen to people, and, and I've seen this countless times, right, because I develop medical devices, I start. I always start with. I bring people to a room outside of our simulated operating room, and we talk. We we draw on whiteboards. I take notes. We might watch, you know, uh, some videos and talk about procedures or or a product or a feature, whatever it may be, and and we'll take notes. And what's amazing to me is that after someone tells me how they perform a task, when we go into the operating room, it, it doesn't happen. They'll do elements of it. But what happens is they think that they might be doing something when in reality, their subconscious mind is taking over. It's kind of like driving the car, right? You listen to a good song. You're talking to a friend on the phone or whatever it may be. Next thing you know, boy, you, you don't even know how, how you got the where you <laughs> needed to get to. Yeah. But you got there safely. Right. So, so again, I don't dismiss outright focus groups or, or market research. It's important. But I think you have to, you have to balance it, and, and, and that's the caveat. So to me, it's take that research, take those focus interviews, but then prove it. It's what I call you talk to your friends, foes, and average joes. You bring your product, you put it in their hands, you put it in a simulated environment, and then you watch them. That's how you're going to learn whether you have something special or a dog.
0: Yeah, that's very true. I'd like to seize on something that you mentioned here. Uh, you mentioned that you know there seems to be a dominant personality in the room, and a lot of people just kind of like nod along. Uh, yeah. So there's two things I wanna I wanna get out of that. Uh, you know, the, you're 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 the type of expert we love here because you say one thing and then it triggers three other three things three other things in my mind, which is great. And we cover so much ground. Uh, you mentioned you know there's a dominant personality and everybody else um, nods their heads. To me, that speaks mm-hmm. to the introvert extrovert thing. Uh, We're obviously the yeah. big you know, big outgoing, extroverted type is going to be able to easily dominate the conversation, and the introverted person, uh, because they're not going to speak up right away. I find it many times they don't speak up at all because eventually yeah. somebody says what they were thinking. I found Sorry. that, and I've asked other fe- and fellow introverts about that. Me being very introverted myself, uh, some people can't believe, but it's true. Uh, so, <laughs> so first of all, how do we make sure that our that are introverts, um, you know, you know, the Gandhi in the room, as I like to call the introverts uh, gets their message across.
1: Yeah. And I think that, and that's relatively easy. So let's just say, even if you are dealing with, you know, a small focus group area, you have breakout sessions. So for me, you know, we will have, you know, we'll have more than one product. So even though we might have one product or we'll have, we'll break it into different elements. So we'll isolate our users. So one, I don't like to have particularly large groups, but sometimes it happens. So you have to deal with that. So you begin to break them down into smaller groups Or you or what you'll find is that, you know, the people that are verbose, you're going to hear what they need to hear. But it's then it's easy to. In plus, what will happen is when you have more than one person in the room, you can begin to occupy that verbose person. And then you can peel off some of the other quiet people. And then you can say, hey, you know what? I, I noticed that you're not getting much of a word in here. You know, I'm really interested and I do want to hear your thoughts. When you when you begin to carve people out again and you make them feel special, you know, when it goes back to, look, we brought you in here for a reason and I very much want to hear your opinion. You're important to us. Well, oh boy, then people are – that's how you reach the, uh, the, the introverts is that you, just, you might need to peel them apart of those uh, big personality types.
0: Yeah, that that's very that's very true. Um, other tactic tactics is uh, you know, and you and you hit the nail on the head. It's like you set up the pins, and I'm going to roll the strike here. We work as a great team, Dana. Is uh, is uh, when you have focus <laughs> groups, this is where you put some of your introverts in charge of the groups because the introvert yeah. uh, tends to work better in a small focused group to keep the terminology consistent, and in positions in leadership, they can be incredibly effective, because they have that ability to listen, because they spend so much time doing it themselves. So in a small work group, they can be an effective leader, and they can also be a very empowering leader, because they don't need to dominate the stage. Uh, they are right. focused on listening, and they're focusing on helping other people find their voice, partially because they struggle to find their own voice. And I, and I can tell you, I mean, I've been in situations where there was this one mastermind I used to Belong to uh, uh, going back like ten years, and we had group conference calls. And it seemed like every time I yeah. tried to speak, and this only ever happened to me, somebody else would just start talking. They would just over-talk me. And uh, and uh, after, I mean, at first I just you know I would just go silent. And then after a while, mm-hmm. it got to the point where if somebody started talking over me, I just keep going like I didn't hear them. Sometimes I get so frustrated, mm-hmm. I would say, "Excuse me, I was talking. You wait your turn." Right. I listened to you speak four times already. Now you give me a damn chance, and um, yeah, and 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 that and that's and that's just the bubbling over effect of the people who find themselves nodding in the room, like, damn it, I have a voice, and this is where leadership yeah. comes in. Now, uh, you know, one of my own mentors, uh, Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach, uh, he has a formula for running masterminds, and one of the key elements of running a mastermind is. What, or, or group com, or group a group meeting, uh, whether it's an in person or a conference mm-hmm. call, or what have you, is what we call the behind the controls work, as Jim calls it. So, when Jim's hosting uh, a group call of his mastermind program, in fact, uh, I was on one just right before we uh, went online with the Business Creators Radio Show this morning. Uh, he uh, he is he has about twenty five people on the call, and uh, he's connected. Uh, either he or his assistant rather is connected on skype Mm -hmm. one way or another with every single person and they'll go behind the scenes and they'll say hey you got something to say uh hey you know this person's asking this sounds like something you could jump in on you want in to encourage people to speak up and then they also use a technology where in order to speak uh they use a technology called instant Teleseminar, which is one i love myself where you have to press star 2 or press a button to cue yourself in and they call on you in turn. Somebody talks over you when your hand is raised and the moderator is called on you, shame on them. And everybody gets a voice. Uh, So that's the first thing I want, that's the first thing I wanted to seize upon in what you said. Um, The second thing is, yeah, you do have that one vocal person and they do tend to dominate things. So what happens when you have your people in the room who are feeling overpowered and they're nodding, 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 and they're and you know maybe they're bubbling inside saying, "When the hell is it my damn turn?" And the person yeah. who is dominating the conversation is talking about something that they know is absolutely not the course we want to take. Yep. Yeah. So now we have to another. It's challenge.
1: really very easy. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's really very easy. And one of the techniques you use, when, you, I mean, it's you can find out pretty quickly if you have one of those voices in any gathering. But um, So as a leader, you can do uh, one or two things really, which is very simple. One is right at the very get-go, you can say, hey, look, I'm going to ask a question and we're going to open it up to the floor, but I want to go around the table. Um, so I want to hear everyone's voice. Or alternatively, what you could do is you say, look, I'm going to, I'd like to engage in some topics and and I'm going to ask, I'm going to call you out by name and just say, "Hey, Adam." So I'd like to hear your voice on this. So and when you do either one of those techniques, you force those big voices that they have to wait their turn because those are the rules, and they have to honor the rules because it's not their game. They're a participant, even though they they have that big personality. Either one of those techniques works just just fine.
0: Yeah, that 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 that's a very, that's a very good point, uh, and, and and you know, you and I are playing off each other. It's going to be one of those types of calls where this is like everybody's a fly on the wall listening to uh, to a little private one-on-one mastermind here, which is great. Uh, I was a chapter head of a professional organization. I'd been on the board of directors of that organization for the four years leading up to it, and we had our board meetings once a month. It was like the third Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. or something like that. And what would happen is um, everybody on the board would take a turn, and they would all read off these long reports and go on and on and on and on and on and on. The meetings always ran over. Everybody got tired. And you can see where when the dominant person in the room – can just read the longest report and just dominate time. And then they can be the one to uh, answer all the questions when it's somebody else's turn. So that's how they get their way in. So I didn't want to sit in a meeting one minute past 730 because I was already tired or 8 o'clock or whatever it was. They were 90-minute meetings. And I really did not want to listen to the tedious minutia. So I came in uh, and I I announced that the way we were going to do things – was everybody was going to submit a report and that report was going to be submitted at least 48 hours before the meeting by email to everybody on the distribution there were eight of us so that we were automatically sharing our reports with everybody and you had to include and you had to include the following elements you had to say you had to say what am i working on right now where do i need your support And what are my Mm -hmm. ideas for moving the chapter forward, whether it's the marketing, the membership, whatever it is. Cover those three things. We didn't need PhD-level dissertations. A quick email with a couple bullet points was fine. And if you only had one item in each Mm -hmm. category, that's fine too. I just wanted you to put it out there. And that way, when we came to the meeting – we had already read the reports. We already knew what everybody had in mind. And when it became that person's term, we had the printouts because uh, we had the, all the emails printed out. And they could just flip to that page. And we could just go, uh, responding to what they had already submitted so they didn't have to read off the report. And that encouraged discussion because it created more space for people. Now, the first meeting, yeah. four out of eight people submitted their report. So what I did is I went through the meeting. I went to the four people who would submitted their report. And as soon as we were done with them, I said, all right, guys. Great meeting, see you in four weeks. And so you can imagine there were three other people in the room saying, well, hey, what about me? I said, well, right. what's your report? I wasn't yeah. joking. Yeah, you, well you, you have to submit the reports. Well, wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you know it? Uh, for the next 11 months, we had two people who uh, called me old Duce to my face and hated me. But the other five, <laughs> I, 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 I don't care. You don't hear about them, and there's a reason why. The other five uh, would compete amongst themselves to be the first one to submit the report or they would say, here's my report is where's my gold star. Or they would say, this is yeah. my report. And if you have any chat, if you have a second, if you give me some feedback on this before the meeting. So they all started playing along. Now, now the now the two that uh, c- compared me to a sawdust Caesar uh, also submitted their reports because they wanted to speak to <laughs> obviously they hated it, but that's just the way it was. Uh, and what was, and what was unfortunate is uh, not my successor, but my successor's successor um, had heard about how I ran to board meetings and said, "Um, I promise I won't be a dictator. You can speak as much as you want. And I'm thinking, what? (laughs) I was helping him speak. I was giving people a voice. Yeah. And you just took the voice away, and now you're gonna have meetings running over time, and people with blood sugar through the floor who are gonna be nodding off right in your meeting. Good job. all right, so remember, remember Mussolini built cities and made the trains run on time. What are you doing? I mean, uh, hate to say it, but it's true. <laughs> yeah.
1: so um, and I think
0: go ahead.
1: You know, and I think, Adam, what you're talking? and that's a powerful tool in businesses. i I see that a lot is uh, you know, just to make up simple dashboards. And really yeah. that's what you asked of your, of your guys is just and, – and, and a dashboard is powerful. Give me the information that I need to know what's important. Where do you, need, you know, What do I need to know? Where are you at? Where are you going? And, and where can – you know, what are your obstacles or how can I help you? It's, it's really – it's fundamental. I mean otherwise you're just talking about stuff that frankly is just wasting everyone else's time. So yeah. dashboards are a very powerful technique in business.
0: Yeah, I, I I'm gonna share something else with you too, and I think you may chuckle to yourself or you may chuckle out loud. But the funny thing is, is the people who complained and decided to compare me to a 20th century fascist dictator because I asked them to submit a simple report 48 hours in advance, these are the ones that love to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and then no action. Right. So they were talking about the same damn thing every single month, and everybody else is moving forward. These were all these were also the people who powed on when i came down on somebody for not holding up to an obligation and embarrassing us in front of our in front of our sponsors those two people were the first ones to say that i'm the person that just wants to talk and never does anything and that all i care about is getting everybody else to do things i never do anything myself it's like you kidding me you freaking kidding me i'm i'm, so, I'm sorry that the party wasn't just for you but i'm the president so you know <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's just i mean—that's just what we talk about inside sometimes. And, you know, these, these things that are allegedly open and inclusive, but they're actually exclusive.
1: Yeah. I'll give you another tip to your, uh, the audience here is that, I mean, meetings at the end of the day, if you schedule time, whether it's with one person or 10 people, example, if you schedule 30 minutes or an hour, what happens is time either compresses or expands to fill that allotted time. So if you schedule an hour, you're going to use an hour. So for me, you know, depending on how many reports you have, I don't, you know, example, if you have eight reports, can you effectively lose, you know, eight hours in, in, in a week? I mean, you lose a day. I mean, that's impossible. So right. for me, I have what I call open door running meetings. And so I would I would not have regular meetings. I would ask my direct reports to stop in my office, you know, every day, randomly, keep my door open, just pop your head in. And, uh, and tell me what's important. What do I need to know today? Do, get, do I need to have a heads up? And if it was a big topic, then we'd come in and sit down. I'd close my door. We'd chat about it. But when I would do this, you know, it was a running, running conversation. Five minutes every day, they'd walk in my office. I knew it was we – didn't, we didn't have to regurgitate any history. It was just a, a conversation that continued on one day at a time. So it was a very powerful t- uh, technique to, to, to maximize your time.
0: I like that. Uh, I, I like that because in a way it also takes away the committee approach and it also uh, you know, keeps things dynamic. So if all we need is a five-minute huddle, five-minute huddle. See, what I do see what I do with my top right. clients our, our titanium clients of the business creators Institute is every week and I try and stack them all up on Mondays and every once in a while somebody has to reschedule it for one week or whatever but you know Monday is just my day to go through all the clients so I just uh, you know pour myself a nice strong glass of uh, homebrewed iced tea and get my cat to sit beside me and I just get on Skype I start hammering them out one or the other the point of these calls is so anything that's occurred to them over the course of the week or anything strategic we need to discuss, or anything like that, we nail it. Uh, the calls are scheduled for an hour, but if we need five minutes, we need five minutes. If we need the hour, we need the hour. And then uh, over the course of the week, we find that we actually need a lot less meetings because not only do we pre-schedule it and it's recurring, but we also honor that it doesn't have to be the whole hour. I mean, one of the commitments is we don't have to fill this space if we don't need to.
1: I think that's perfect. Next. That's exactly, instead of a phone call from me, it's, a, it's, it's it's eye to eye. Yes. You know, same thing, just walk to my office and spend a minute. So we're accomplishing the exact same thing, um, you know, different technique, but effectively one and the same.
0: Yeah. So uh, what are some of your other best practices or business recommendations? Some things maybe we haven't covered yet.
1: Yeah, thanks for that, Adam. I mean, for me, I have four foundational principles that I prescribe to uh, to business leaders and innovators. And the first one is I, I'd, I'd like to see businesses uh, take 10% of their top line revenues and reinvest that back into organic research and development. That ensures you're going to be continually reinventing yourself. Two is um, I develop your products through your customer's eyes. We kind of talked about that, about watching them in a simulated environment. Three, it's continually focusing and reinventing your few strategically core platforms. It's what I call dance with the girl you came with. Uh, And then four, it's to hire ambitious, smart, get it done people and lead them with emotionally intelligent leadership.
0: I got a good question for you before we move on to your next thing here real quick. Um, And this was something that came up in the discussion group just last night. Uh, Do you find it better to hire for mindset and develop skill set or hire for skill set and develop mindset?
1: Yeah, I think it depends on the role. Okay. Uh, But for me, I would tell you, to me, I I think if you hire someone uh, that's just like you, then frankly, you don't need one of you. So, for me, it's it's kind of like the draft. try to go after your best player. but i but I think at the end of the day, before I hire anybody, I have to I have to ask myself, I, I need to write a job description. How can I ask someone to interview a candidate if I cannot articulate what I want in that candidate one hundred percent? Who is the ideal candidate? So, people that hire too soon, or they or they don't take the time to um, to write down, who they're really looking to hire, what's their unmet need that they're trying to satisfy, what is the purpose of this individual, I can assure you, you're not going to hire a great candidate. So, you know, the, one of the hardest things you can do as a leader is, is not rushing with a hire. So you're under great pressure. The business is trying to grow. And boy, and if you bring the wrong person in, it's more destructive than it is just trying to be patient. So to me, um, you know, there's two really big key factors in being a great leader. One is being an exceptional listener. So you want to listen to people. And, and if you're not willing to listen, then you're not going to have great talent around you. And two, it's being able to identify people that are exceptional, get it done people, and then being able to lead them um, and empower them to to go off and do their work. But you can't do that latter point if you don't know who you want. What what's How do you empower somebody? if you ultimately don't know what you want them to do. And so they might have exceptional skills in one area, but if they don't have the skills that you need them to do, that that were your aspirations, then they might be the greatest person in the world at, I don't know, uh, being a design engineer, manufacturing high-speed equipment. But if you're looking for someone to help you with a killer strategic uh, plan, I'm not sure that's the right hire. It It might be this exceptional talent. So to me, you have to scope out what your need is and then, and only then, will you be successful thereafter.
0: Yeah, that's very, that's very true. Now, you um, have uh, some background in the medical device sector. In fact, you have a lot of background there, as I understand it. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, so, is your philosophy of mantra design specific to the medical device sector, or can we cross it to any industry? I'm guessing. I'm asking. Uh, you know, I'm, I guess I'm asking if the sun is up in the sky this morning. But I'd like to hear your answer.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Uh, so, so to your point, you know, I have 30 years of um, medical device experience. Uh, it's It's been a, a great career for me. Uh, but to your point and your, to your question, no. Mantra design, everything that I preach begins and ends with customers. So even though I'm in med device, it doesn't matter what your industry is. It's about customers. And it goes back to, you know, understanding those early mantras. And for me, you learn your customer's world, whether that's a doctor or whether that's a, a race car driver or a you know, a pilot or um, uh, whatever, you know, a technician, uh, an auto mechanic. The reality of the matter is when you begin to learn their world and begin to watch them and observe them while they perform their craft, that's when you're going to begin to get really close to them. Yeah. So the book's relevant to anyone who has customers.
0: Right, right. So what is your perspective and everything we've discussed up until now, et et cetera, on smaller versus larger innovation companies
1: yeah thanks for that question Adam I mean for me you know smaller companies at the end of the day right they're they're very focused because they haven't truly established themselves they're they're aspiring for that unmet need that means they're getting really close to their customers that also means that they're willing to invest disproportionately into organic uh, research and development. Ironically though the bigger and bigger you get, the less risky you get so it's what i call going from a startup company or an entrepreneurial company to a fo- to a um a value company and value companies are more more interested in just about growing themselves uh, a particular maybe you know small or high single digits they're not worried about that double digit growth so what they do is even their r d budgets and uh, the programs that they pick They're looking for incremental improvement. They're not looking for, frankly, breakthrough improvement. Uh, They're not spending the dollars for all that innovation and high-risk stuff. The entrepreneurial and small companies are. And what I find funny, and this is uh, part of my philosophies, is that I do not believe um, in in these big blockbuster acquisitions. You know, 50% of them fail to bring value uh, to the shareholders. And and a lot of that has to to do with culture. And it's the same thing with smart startups. A startup might be doing great and growing at 10%. They get acquired by this big company and their growth immediately slows. And the reason is it's because they fall into that big company philosophy and no longer are they being funded. You know, they, they, They're dropped into a different culture and the research that they need to continue to invest in them and drive organic innovation, it gets lost. So uh, not a big believer in big acquisitions. I like tuck you know, they can fit right into your portfolio.
0: Yeah, that's very, that's very true. Then uh, that's a good analogy too. Uh, you know, I found that you know, I worked for four and a half years for this one company, and when I first started out, they were, you know, they were low into mid size, but they were still very revolutionary. They were very much in startup mode, and you had a real strong feeling when you came to work every day that you were in the middle of something new and exciting. Uh, and there were a lot of the things in terms of leadership that you have described. Over the course of this call so far, like how to help people find their voice, how to get out of meeting culture and things like that and uh and you know anybody who from the front lines had an idea could get that idea directly into the hands of senior management, and whether they acted on it or not, there was a feeling that you were being listened to and in enough cases for it to feel. Worth your time, you would find that there would be changes, there would be enhancements, there would be acknowledgements that showed that management was listening and helping people on the front line make things better. Uh, By the time I got to the end of my run there... it had become very corporate in nature. Uh, one of the original corporate parents mm-hmm. had bought out the other partners, and now that they have the whole thing. They tried to make them. They tried to make the company their own satrap versus uh, versus a, a, a joint team effort, so to speak. Uh, I mean, we went from accountability to people actually using a punch clock, and I and mm-hmm. not even not even in a factory, but like in a company where people work in desks and cubicles, we're using punch cards. Including, oh, pun, including punching in and out for lunch. People with titles like coordinator and manager were punching their card. I mean, are you kidding me? And it's generating this yeah. whole meeting culture. And I remember one time uh, you know, in, in the role I described to you earlier, uh, somebody, it was one of our regional directors, had asked some question about one of the issues with one of the providers. And I answered it. Uh, so you know, you ask me a question, I answer it. Is that on a fair email exchange? Well, <laughs> holy well, holy hell! That email touched off two hours of management meetings, uh, with documents and huddles and reanalysis of policies and procedures, and uh, me having to sit through almost two hours of lectures. And you want to know why?
1: No, why?
0: Because at the end of my email, I forgot to add the phrase, "Please let me know if you need anything else." <laughs> Isn't that kind of implied in a in a subordinate superior relationship? If they need something else, they're going to tell you. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I, I mean, I'm thinking. I'm, I mean, I'm thinking. You know, correct me if I'm wrong. And I and it just turns out I understand nothing about innovation and managing your time. That if I can send a short email to somebody that's clear and get the exact answer I need, I'm good.
1: Well. It's funny. Email is one of, um, I mean, email, sh- technically speaking, should not be much more than a, a, a few sentences long. Right. People have learned. I mean, at the end of the day, and and if you need much more than three three sentences, or if there's any confusion, either get up out of your desk and go walk over to their office, or pick up the phone. Right. So it it you know the the problem with anything that you put in writing is that it's hard to understand you know the subtleties behind the words or the emotion or the inflections you know so words can can cannot necessarily portray what they mean and so and many people because they're so busy they'll fire off emails but they haven't taken the time it's it's one of the disservices i mean again you know for me when i started in business we had you know the internet was not well networked at all and and i grew up on a typewriter me too so boy if i had to type a letter I made damn sure that, you know, that it, it, I, I had a topic. I had questions and or answers. I mean, I read it over multiple times because at the end of the day, you know, I was going to put it in an envelope and God knows when I was going to get a response back. Right. So the problem with email now is people oftentimes don't take the time to read them to see what it says or if they're even asking the right questions. Right. Never mind is that they just copy hordes of people. And so it's, and that's part of coaching and mentoring is you need to, you know, educate people on what email is and, and, and when and how to use it. So it's, it's one of the many techniques of, of business acumen that's being lost um, in the country. It's one of the things that I kind of walk and talk about is, you know, and that's why you need people that, uh, that have been there, done that, and they're not afraid to have some of these soft uh, but yet difficult conversations. If you see somebody rambling on an email, so you, you tell them.
0: Right. Uh, And I used to ramble on in emails and I learned to get real concise. And I'll tell you a second, uh, my uh, strategy points, but just to go back to what I just told you about uh, how it became, uh, how it basically shut down the company for a whole day because I forgot to type Please let me know if you need anything else. Goodness gracious. Uh, It wasn't even that regional director's issue. It was her assistant who saw the email and decided to make a fuss because the regional director, actually, next time she saw me in person, she apologized for the whole thing and said that she herself had had no problem with it. And if you have somebody at that level saying something like that to somebody at my level in the company, then you know the whole thing was complete bullshit.
1: Yeah. And I think that's what happens in business, right? There's lots of fluff. This is where I get, you know, there's lots of empty suits, right? You know, in small businesses, there's not a lot of room for empty suits. You have to bring substance to the table every single day. Otherwise, you're going to quickly find your way out the door. However, in big businesses, it's easy to not bring substance to the table.
0: Right, very, very true. Um, you know, and I and I find that a lot. So, what I do is I do try, as I do try and keep my emails really short. Is is the first item. Uh, the second yeah. thing is if I do have to write a longer email, uh, I use I use something called, and this is a phrase we hear bandied around a lot. So I'm going to give a practical definition of it. Uh, this little thing called digital literacy, and what that means is. Mm-hmm. What digital literacy means is you bear in mind the format on which people are going to read it. Now, the example I just gave you that happened in two thousand four. Um, in two thousand four, I was excited because they came out with this thing called a BlackBerry. I still had a, I still had a, like a, I still had a Palm Pilot. Let the, that just to put it in perspective, where you need a cell phone and a Palm Pilot, and the idea of having a camera phone meant you were really hot stuff. <laughs> that – I mean that – that funny, set the frame for it. Here in 2016, uh, people have so many emails and so many different distractions coming yeah. through their computer that they're moving super fast. And a lot of times what people will do – you know, and I do this myself is like let's say I go to a restaurant uh, and let's say that I'm – it's one of those things where I'm dining alone. Uh, what I'll do is uh, mm-hmm. I'll take my phone with me and just because it's completely dead space – between me placing the order and yep. me getting the order, since there's nobody else at my table, I'll 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 catch up a few emails. I tell people all the time on social sure. media that you know about my car getting washed, and I always make the point: I didn't wash my car; I got my car washed. Because the $35 that pay, I can pay to this really excellent place right down the street to do my car for me, I can sit in their waiting room for 25 minutes using their free Wi-Fi. And just in just catching up a few emails during that time, I generate a lot more value than $35. But that's the whole
1: thing. Well, that, I think that's
0: – Right. And, that, and, that's, yeah. The, yeah, and that's, that's the frame for where people are checking their emails and giving responses that could have long-ranging impacts. So if I'm doing this on my smartphone and you write me a long email, I might say, oh, God, this one's too long. My food's going to be here. I'll read it later. Well, later never comes because I'm going to have a lot of other emails coming in. I only check my email three times a day anyway. So that'll be the, that'll be the, that'll, that will that'll be the one where they follow up with me five days later asking me if I got it, and I'm just telling you the truth. So digital literacy, um, as much as possible. Every single sentence is its own paragraph, and that forces me to be concise because then things start to get long. I start cutting back, and if it's a type of email where I'm laying out a process, I use very generous use of subheaders and bullet points just like sales copy because if I'm writing an email that's longer, it means I'm making a pitch. I'm making an offer, and that doesn't mean necessarily a sales offer. It could be me acting in my role as a consultant and guide moving people to embrace something or moving people to understand something so they take action. So I want subheaders. I want bullet points. I want skimmability. Uh, And the way I frequently reply to my emails, especially if it's a longer email, is I do the see below thing and I intersperse my responses. So I turn that long email that I received into a conversation.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's what I mean by digital literacy.
1: Right. I think those are some good points. It's interesting. Uh, they've done studies and they found there's two type of people uh, in the world now. And, and, and it's really, it's been split right down the middle. There's people that feel like when they get an email, they need to respond instantly. And then there's people who they're not in a hurry to respond. Those are the people that if you draft a long email later on, when when they have the time and when they can read it uh, and, and, um, and, and envelop envelope what you're trying to say, they'll respond in kind. So, so one of the problems, and people need to be very careful, is there's there's those two type of personalities. And if you have a long email on the people that feel like they need to respond instantly, they don't get through your email. Right. So it's very easy to get a bad answer, or to dry, or to, you know, um, uh, push a conversation in the wrong direction, or to uh, propose something and get back a response and and have a lot of wasted time because someone didn't take the time to read through an entire chain. Right. So to me, it's simple rules. If you want to use email, keep it short and simple. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and direct it to the people that you want an answer from and and, and ask a question clear and concise uh, if that's your aspiration. If you need something longer, then it should not be in a question format. And, and don't forget, it's easy to walk out of your office and pick up the phone. I mean, too many people are hiding behind their computers these days, and too much valuable information and time gets lost, yeah,
0: that's and that, and that is so true. Um you know you heard me say at the very beginning, if you're close enough to me that your emergency can impact me, which means you're a major client making a big investment in the Big business creators Institute, you have a way to me that's a lot faster than email uh, that that's the first thing uh, and the and the second thing, and I say this to everybody is, uh, oh, you put the word urgent in your subject line. Isn't that so cute? Mm-hmm. Oh, and you used all caps. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't care. Uh, you know, number one, if you're close to me, that your emergencies can impact me. You know the you know the way to get to me in an emergency situation. And if you're not, then. Your urgencies are yours. I mean, that's that's all there is there's to it. And if that means that somebody is willing to hire me and pay me a bunch of money and I missed it because I didn't answer their email in 30 seconds and it took them only 45 seconds to find somebody else, that means they really didn't give a shit about me to begin with. So not my loss there either because that's the usual retort I get is what if some hot client shows up and sends you an urgent email and you could have answered quickly and made money but meanwhile because somebody else answered the email faster they got the deal? That's not a deal I want. Right. That That's not a deal I want yeah. because even somebody who has urgency who really wants to explore working with me in the Business Creators Institute will know to go to my scheduler, which is publicly available on my website, and book the nearest available time. And they may book the nearest available time yeah. and, they, and then they may email me and they say, hey, I know that it's Tuesday and I book for Thursday. Um, I'm really hot for this and this is something where we really could use some help. If this is something you're interested in, is there any chance I could speak with you sooner? And if they do it that way, I'll take a look at it. And maybe I move them into Wednesday morning or maybe I say, you know what? They sound really hot to try it here. Um I'm, 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 and then this is not going to be setting the tone for the relationship, but I'm going to pick up the phone and just give them a call.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You have to be careful. There's an old expression. People that are quick to hop on the wagon. They're equally quick to hop off the wagon. That's
0: my whole thing. (laughs) That's my whole thing. So yeah, if, uh, if me taking an extra 30 seconds cost me the opportunity, that wasn't an opportunity. End of story. Right. Yeah. Well so said. yeah. So in in our conversation here, I know we went into a bunch of different topics, and uh, we actually ended up exploring a number of topics that were peripheral or supporting to leadership, and that's perfectly fine. Fu- t- Fine, and the funny thing is, Dana, is we are at the top of the hour. So, what I want to do is I want to turn over the stage for thirty seconds. Our listeners have heard you. Uh, they may have questions. They may want to explore more. They want to may want to buy your book, or they may want to you know schedule a call with you. Uh, so, tell us just very briefly how you help business creators win at the game of business and marketing and leadership and everything they do.
1: Yeah, so I I offer customers two value. Propositions. One is I try to educate seasoned and aspiring leaders uh, to the importance of emotional intelligence, um, intelligent leadership, because that can increase your team's productivity by as much as 30%. And the second thing I offer is I I teach people how to identify their customers' unmet needs and transform them into uh, patent protected uh, market share leading technologies. That's my value proposition.
0: Right, right, right. So uh, why don't you tell them your website? I mean, come on. It's a great website.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, so obviously, the best way to reach me is through my website, which is www.mantraleadership, one word, M A N T R A, leadership.com. Uh, conversely, they can uh, email me directly at dana. At um, MontrealLeadership.com.
0: Well, that's so a thank
1: you for that, well, that.
0: That's a pretty bold stake. I imagine there's somebody listening, whether they're listening live or they're listening on our iTunes channel, that's going to hear that and they're going to say, "This is the man," uh, and they're going to email you. We found it when our guests are willing to take that step, they tend to get they tend to get feedback. So that's great. Dana A. Oliver of Montreal Leadership. I want to thank you so much for being with us here today. It's been an honor and an education.
1: Adam, thank you very much for having me as a guest. Uh, it's been a pleasure to, you know, to be part of Business Creators Radio Show, and it's been fun to chat with you, sir. And so I very much appreciate that.
0: You bet. And for everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, and on iTunes, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. Until next time. Have a day. Have a great day. I'm so excited. Have a great day. Take care.